Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 23rd installment of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, and the first episode in a very long time, still happily brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. Now, as I said, it's kind of been a while since the last episode of Painting the Corners, and it's been a long and, frankly, incredible summer. There have been so many incredible performances, rookies as well as long-tenured players, showing off their incredible talent, as well as loads of surprises and disappointments throughout the season up to this point. So today, we're just going to do a rundown and recap the season as it went leading up to September. We'll start with the current and honestly ever-changing standings as far as the wildcard is concerned. And I say ever-changing, as in the time of seeing these standings to when I'm recording this episode right now, the NL West has been shaken up once more. As of September 2nd, 2021, the Tampa Bay Rays are, I mean, rather unsurprisingly, at the forefront of the American League and the American League East with an 84-win and 49-loss record. The Houston Astros sit atop the AL West with a 78-55 record, and the Yerman Mercedes list, which... We'll go over that later. White Sox led the AL Central with a 78-56 record. In the hunt for the division and the wildcard is one of the longest-running rivalries of all time between the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. Now, I don't think I'm alone when I say that if these two teams stay in these spots for the wildcard, that it's going to be one of the craziest and, let's be honest, bloodthirsty wildcard games that you will ever see, and I am so excited. I mean, could you imagine a winner goes home, we're talking the last possible chance to extend your season matchup between these two teams? I mean, I don't know if my heart could take it. Still within reach of nabbing a wildcard spot, however, are the Oakland Athletics, who are two games out as of right now, and the Seattle Mariners, who are three and a half games out. If the Mariners make a huge push in this final month of September, it would be the first time that they would be in the playoffs in almost two decades. The National League is a bit less decided as of this point in the season, which seems just about on par with every single final month leading up to the postseason that I can remember, at least. Sitting at the top of the National League is, once again, the Los Angeles Dodgers, who actually just recently took the spot from those San Francisco Giants in the National League West. A kind of crazy stat about this all-of-a-sudden change in power in the NL West is that the Los Angeles Dodgers have not been at the top of the NL West since April 28th of this aging season. That's like... That's like five months and some change that the Giants have been fending off their counterparts, trying to stop the Dodgers from winning their 20th division title. There's only a half a game difference between these two teams, so this could change at the drop of a hat. And it probably will. Many times before September is over. (laughs) The Dodgers are sitting at an 85-49 record, and the Giants, who are still very much in the wildcard, are 84-49. The Milwaukee Brewers are 82-52 and 52 with a little bit more comfortable lead in the NL Central. 
And the Atlanta Braves are 70-62 and with a two-game lead over the Philadelphia Phillies, who have made, honestly, quite a surge in the past few days. Currently in the wild card is, once again, the Giants, although it's almost certainly subject to change. And the Cincinnati Reds, who, if you remember from the really strange playoff picture from last year, lost to the Atlanta Braves in the NL wildcard series. On the cusp of that wild card is the San Diego Padres, who are half a game back on the Reds right now, and the Phillies, who sit two and a half games from the wild card. But the weird thing about the Phillies is that they may sit two and a half games from being in the wild card, but they're only two games out from the division lead. I mean, seriously, for the Phillies right now, it really is a win the division or go home situation at this point. So, yeah, you can see that there's been quite a shakeup this year. I mean, last season, the Brewers and the Reds barely squeaked into wildcard spots in the extended wildcard series that MLB tried last year. I mean, the Twins were at the top of the AL Central, and the Red Sox had one of the worst records in baseball. But I think that's why baseball is just such a beautiful sport. I mean, this kind of stuff can happen and happens all the time. I think it's about time that we talk about some of the biggest storylines of the year so far. And it'd be wrong of me to start this off in any other way than talking about the sticky stuff. A huge storyline of this year circles back to a problem that has constantly plagued Major League Baseball since its creation. Using substances, and in this case banned substances, in order to gain an advantage on the field. Now, in previous episodes, we've talked about steroids and performance-enhancing drugs, but the newest culprit, the sticky stuff, also known as spider tack, is basically a strange concoction of products, including sunscreen mixed with rosin. The extremely sticky nature of the product increases spin rate and grip on the ball, allowing for crazier pitches with more movement and, in some cases, more velocity. The sticky stuff crackdown happened pretty quickly as MLB announced that any player found with a foreign substance or any substance used to doctor a baseball or to improve their grip on a baseball would be immediately ejected from the game and would receive a 10-game suspension. Now, after June 15th, all MLB pitchers were subject to a, I guess, sort of pat-down, if you will, in which the home plate umpire would inspect the pitcher's glove, hat, hair, belt, and any surface, really, that may be used to store this substance. This, as you can imagine, caused quite a stir between fans and players, and really just quite a controversy as a handful of players were caught using the substance and were thrown out accordingly. However, there were some pitchers that all of the sudden, really just out of the blue, experienced a massive drop in spin rate and control. For some reason, hmm. Nevertheless, eight no-hitters have been thrown this season from all around the league. This actually ties a record set in 1884 for most no-hitters in a season. Four of the eight no-hitters came in the month of May, which tied the record for most no-hitters in a month, set first in June of 1990. Spencer Turnbull and Corey Kluber completed their no-hitters just a day apart, the first time that two pitchers have thrown a no-hitter one or fewer days apart since Dave Stewart and Fernando Valenzuela 
threw them on the same day back on June 29, 1990. The pitching accomplishments don't just stop here, however. Craig Kimbrell recorded his 350th career save, the 12th player in history to do so, while on his way to becoming the fastest pitcher in Major League Baseball history to reach 1,000 strikeouts in just 613 innings pitched. Shane Bieber became the first pitcher since 1893 to record 10 strikeouts in each of his first four starts, while Jacob deGrom struck out 59 batters in his first five starts of the season to tie Nolan Ryan's record set all the way back in 1978. Madison Bumgarner threw a complete game no-hitter, quote, quote, that was counted as such due to the game only lasting seven innings because it was the second game of a doubleheader. Zach Granke recorded his 3,000th career inning pitched, the 135th pitcher to do so, as Yu Darvish recorded his 1,500th career strikeout, the fastest pitcher in Major League history to do so in 197 games. Yu Darvish took that record from Randy Johnson, who did the same in 206 games. Aaron Nola struck out 10 consecutive hitters, a mark that tied Tom Seaver's record, and five Tampa Bay Rays pitchers threw a combined no-hitter, quote-quote again, that, like Madison Bumgarner's, didn't count as a no-no due to the game only lasting seven innings as it was game two of a doubleheader. The weird thing about that one is that it was a seven-inning game, yet the Rays still used five pitchers. Hmm. But, like always, the batters hit quite a few milestones this year as well. Yerman Mercedes, that was before he stepped down from baseball due to some controversy between him and his manager Tony Larusa, and a few other things as well. Well, Yerman became just the second player in Major League Baseball history to record five hits in his first career start. He then went on to become the first player in Major League Baseball history to record eight hits in his first eight at-bats. Miguel Cabrera has had an unbelievable career season as he joined the 500 home run club on August 22nd, becoming just the 28th player in history to reach that mark. Not only that, but Miggy passed Omar Vizquel to become the all-time hit leader of Venezuelan-born major leaguers with his 2,878th hit. He also recorded his 5,000th career total base, just the 22nd player to record that feat, and his 1,500th career run, becoming the 74th player to reach that mark as well. Kyle Schwarber tied the major league record of most home runs hit during any two-game span, with five home runs between June 19th and June 20th. And Trey Turner hit for the cycle for the third time in his career, just the fifth player in history to do so. Albert Pujols reached 6,000 career total bases on July 5th, becoming the fourth player to reach that number, joining an elite squad of Hank Aaron, Stan Musial, and Willie Mays. With his 32nd home run that came on July 7th, Shohei Otani broke the most home runs in a season record for a Japanese-born player. And last, but very much not least, two rookies of insane power did something that had never been done before. Rodolfo Castro became the first player in the modern era to have his first five hits of his career all be home runs. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And on the other side, Sebi Zavala became the first major league player to hit his first three career home runs all in the same game, one of which, by the way, was a grand slam. 
all of these accomplishments really just scratch the surface of all the incredible and amazing milestones hit by players and coaches and teams just in 2021. I mean, seriously, this was just a very brief, quick look at them. Now, my time is running a little bit short, but before I end off this episode, I just want to talk about the incredible success that was the All-Star Week that the Colorado Rockies put on at Coors Field. Now, if you remember, all the way back in March or April, something like that, Major League Baseball decided to not have the All-Star Game in Atlanta due to some political concerns and various other things going on there. So instead, the All-Star Game was moved to Denver, and on short notice, the Colorado Rockies put on quite a show. Now, I was very lucky enough to go to both the Home Run Derby and the All-Star Game, and oh my goodness, what an incredible experience both of them were. Now, although, you know, as a National League fan, although the American League once again beat the National League 5-2, to two, securing their eighth win in a row, <laughs> the third longest streak in All-Star Game history, there was still plenty of really good, memorable moments. The tribute to Hammer and Hank Aaron was beautiful and heartwarming. We saw incredible pitching displays by the hometown hero, Herman Marquez, Freddie Peralta, Shoei Otani, and Liam Hendricks, as well as unreal at-bats by Mike Zunino, JT Real Muto, lots of catchers actually, and the eventual All-Star Game MVP, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who actually hit a home run 468 feet, the longest in the StatCast history of the All-Star Game. If you were wondering what the previous record was, it was actually set by Chris Bryant. And let's just say that Vlad hit it about 50 feet further than Chris did. <laughs> the Home Run Derby saw plenty of fireworks as well, though, with a 518-foot shot from Trevor Story that was only really the record for about two minutes, I think, before it was broken by a 520-foot shot from Juan Soto. The polar bear Pete Alonso was the eventual winner of the event as he slugged 74 home runs. So, you know, don't get me wrong, completely deserved that one. 74 home runs in a sitting is, is quite a bit. But easily the biggest storyline of the event of the home run derby came from the guy who actually got second place and a well-deserved second place in Trey Mancini, who just a year ago won his battle against colon cancer. Unbelievable. Now, I think it kind of goes without me saying, but this season has really been a special one. So many good stories, so many exciting moments and really tough parts that have all been packed into the last five months. It's going to be a lot of fun by the time that the postseason comes around to see just how this storybook season will end. Because that's what it's been. And thank goodness too, because man, after COVID and after the weird season last year, us baseball fans really needed it. Thank you for listening.